This is the one with a doctor's imposter who went to Gloucester. Return of the Jack. Mouthy versus Cheesy. Ruth gets the horn. And Alan's all ears. It's called Fugitive of the Jadoon. Here we go. We're still on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. We're slipping and angels now. Dalek, Cyber, Zood and wow! Counting Sonic's rating out. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whittaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be but who back when? Who back when? Shazamatron podcast land and welcome to yet another absolutely incredibly legendary episode of Who Back When, the Doctor Who podcast. Or Docpast. Absolutely right you are, sir. Sir? Ooh, I must be speaking to someone else. I am Leon, and I am joined today by a gentleman, a scholar, a wit, a two-wit, a wit who'd outwit Zeus himself if the latter were ever to apply his fulgurative talents to the smithing of words. Un campeón de palabras, the Spanish might say. E por oquela, uh, no olelo, they might say in Hawaii. I'm talking, of course, the- about that champion of chaps, the man, the myth, the legend. It is Drew. Hello, Drew. Hello, Leon, and apparently I'm also now a knight of the realm at the same time. <laughs> well, that's that's nice to find out. We have entered an, an introductory paragraph arms race. <laughs> Do you want to keep this going, or should we just say that can't possibly be topped? Why don't we call it a draw? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, Drew, what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about N160, Fugitive of the Jadoon. Oh, yes. An episode that I believe we both have really been looking forward to. Yeah. For so many reasons. Aside from the fact that it's a great episode, it's an important episode in the Whittaker and Chibber's era. It's an epochal episode in that era. Possibly the most significant one. Mm. Uh, Yeah, I would probably agree with that. All the threads of jam and string pass through this episode. (laughs) All all the breadcrumbs have been leading us to this, and, and this now sets everything else in motion. So it does. You know what? I'm going to try, I'm going to do my utmost to discuss and review this episode with you today from the point of view of someone who hasn't yet experienced the disillusionment to come. Oh, well, I'm well equipped to do that because my memory is so bad, I can't remember which frayed ends are ever tied up and which just (laughs) dangled listlessly forever, forgotten by eternity. Marvellous. Well, let's do that. Before we do, let's high-level summarise this for podcast land. What do you say? Oh, as in B-scale. Yeah, so that's right. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Let's do that as well. Time for us to synopsize, lurbify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free-for-all we like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. Ruth Clayton is a thoroughly average married woman, an unappreciated tour guide to the dribbling dimwits visiting the cathedral city of Gloucester, where if the jealousy and hostility from the failed barman cumberista are hard to be believed, there's only one place anyone can buy coffee. Although, to his credit, he does rock a pretty sweet dossier. Cue the jadoon harpooning the tune with a cocoon, at which point Ruth's shifty husband, Lee, makes plans to evacuate, and Doc and Fam intervene to ensure none of the applicable regulations are breached. 
Turns out Ruth has a past that's secret even to both of her, and Captain Jack swings back into view with a crucial communique of his own. B-Scout over. You are welcome. Oh, aren't you just podcast land? Dudemeister, that is fantastic. All credit for that B-Scout goes to Drew, and in that B-Scout, you have preempted one of my introductory questions for you. Ooh, I. What was it? Is there really no other bakery in Gloucester? <laughs> well, perhaps Alan is just that combustible that if anyone else sets up within the ring road, he goes around, gives them a piece of his mind, and they never return. <laughs> He's an absolute monster. Were you happy or unhappy when he was zapped? I was surprised when he was zapped. Oh, really? It- Alan is one of these weird characters. You know what? Actually, here's something that this episode... I, I'll, I'll get some of these out, out of the way right off the bat. Alan is one of the things that this episode doesn't quite get right to me. Okay. So I thoroughly enjoy Alan. Alan is a fun, comedic element to this, this episode. Yeah. But I don't feel that that tonally fits with the entire rest of it. Alan is a farcical character who, by his own admission, is terrible at making coffees. I don't know how he's able to make cakes. And he's abusive to at least one of his customers, sexually harasses another one. He should be put behind the bars. Or at the very least, he should be barred from the service industry. Well, he was barred from being a barman, so they're halfway there, just barista to go. I suppose. I found myself surprised to think back that Ruth and Lee have been married. Yeah, I know. Possibly some time. And she moved to Gloucester 23 years ago. When is Alan going to give it up? I could understand this if this were a bad boyfriend. We're just watching that sequence of the american office where holly is still going out with aj and michael wants to get him out the picture and he's doing some fairly nasty things so it all sort of tallies but till long after they're wed you'd assume that alan has only ever known them as a married couple quite possibly surely she doesn't chameleon circuit her own brain and then somehow unknowingly bump into lee who knows who she is recognizes her and goes right well i'm going to i'm going to cover for you i'm going to create an alibi for you presumably those two went into it together yeah they arrived in gloucester as a unit as a couple exactly he's effectively the companion of sorts he's called the companion he's called faithful companion oh, just right. before oh, he's extinguished. i didn't even catch that yeah i yeah. didn't even catch that so yeah exactly so he's the companion they have been traveling together they go to gloucester establish this alibi then they bump into alan and surely from their point of view it's like or certainly from the doc's point of view who has no recollection of any kind of alibi doesn't know that she needs to maintain it from her point of view surely it's like this really creepy dude refuses to take a hint. I'm here with my loving husband, and this guy keeps harassing me. Yeah. She's also kind of encouraging it, because she's going there for a free birthday coffee, which she knows that Alan will provide her. Poor lovesick Alan. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I that get is that exactly her, right. I get that her business is going badly and everything, but... This is going to lead to more trouble than it's worth. Yeah. You don't know that you have super summer glow, serenity, kick-ass moves buried deep <laughs> within your subconscious. That's an excellent reference. That's, that's exactly what's going on here as well. Yeah. Yes, it <laughs> well is. Well done. <laughs> I also got okay. brace face vibes. Oh, really? From Victory of the Daleks, because he had a whole false past. He thought back to his parents in Paisley and all of that business. That's true. And she thought back to her parents, and they clearly never existed. Yeah. But so not they in that show lighthouse up. anyway. Well, so, so this means Doc and Lee show up 
she has she doesn't really have a job. I mean, she has a job, but she's not pulling in any income. Goodness knows what Lee is doing. Somehow they are renting a flat and they have purchased a lighthouse that they don't live in. <laughs> Why not just live in the lighthouse to start to start with? Why not just do that? That's a fairly good question. Perhaps. Oh yeah, I'm I'm struggling to come up with an answer to that one. You need perhaps some distance between the emergency smash glass and where you are. Perhaps it allows you to go undercover more convincingly. Yeah, maybe. It gives them somewhere to go if they are tracked down. It allows them to hide the TARDIS there. Well, okay, so I've got questions about that as well. Okay. The Jadoon and, what's her name, Gat? Yes, Commander Gat. They locate them in Gloucester, pinpoint them to within a few blocks in Gloucester because he has brought his service medal with him. Yes. Oh, can I just say, because this is the only time that's coming up, I loved the tech speak of chronotelluric alloy, strong entanglement. That's very nice. Chronotelluric. So it's it's somehow time tech. This medal is time tech. I love it. Yeah. Okay, so they pinpoint that one medal to within a few blocks in Gloucester. Yeah, from a different galaxy. Yeah, but they are unable to locate the TARDIS. Oh, well, I imagine it managed to cloak its... What's that energy it's got? Also Chrono something, isn't it? No, no. Oh, whatever it is. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah, the the special TARDIS energy. Bing bong, future Leon here. That's Artron energy. Back to the show, bing bong. And a foot of Earth apparently goes a really long way. (laughs) I mean, we will get to the... The sci-fi space gun in the lighthouse then? Yes. Yeah, but that's in a big wooden trunk. That's shielded by inches of mighty oak. Well, the the medal was in a Poundland cigarette case. <laughs> Dude, I feel like we're skirting around the question all of Podcastland wants us to ask. What do they want us to ask? What did you think of the new Doctor? Oh my goodness, she's amazing. Yeah, Ruth is, is fantastic. She's also really fantastic as just plain Ruth. Yeah. So pleasant as Ruth, so kick ass as the doctor mm-hmm. very very clever very take chargey which i enjoy good with techie stuff she's got a bit of a clever strategy when they go up to gats or when they're taken up to gats jadoon ship yeah even if i did see that coming the way they hammered home i really wouldn't do that if i were you yeah, that's, that's that was pretty blatant yes yeah. you're right but it's still but a pretty still. cool trick that she yeah it's, plays a, it's a good gats. way of indicating responsibility and evading the typical doctor's ethical dilemma of how do i kill these people without killing them how do i make it their fault rather than mine yes exactly a, a similar way of circumventing that dilemma is when whitaker doc says hey I, you, you can't kill people you don't kill people and ruth's doc the fugitive doc goes i know shut up yeah great which is Loved it. I, I love it yeah no she's great she's fantastic yes did you see the rapport she had with that cockapoo as she walked into town <laughs> i know yes she won my heart Instantly, actually, she's already won my heart before that because her and Lee's little back and forth at the yeah. beginning of the episode seems streets ahead of similar random character introductions we get typically at the beginning of other Chibber's episodes. When yeah, or even the chemistry we have between our 13th dog and her companions. Yes. Although and she knows that they're her companions. <laughs> put a pin in that. Ooh. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I liked... Ooh, what an image of him being all over the cake. <laughs> and, 
Yeah, truckload of presents will fix that oversight right up. I, I I liked all of it. I liked that entire scene. Is it bad that I thought, well done, Vinay Patel? Well done, Vinay, indeed. My point okay, is okay. that this episode is co-written by Vinay Patel and Chris Chibnall. Oh, is it really co-written? Yep. Oh, okay. Right. Both names appear at the top of the credits. Right. Okay. Well, uh, well done, both of you. Yeah, turns out co-writing is the way to go. (laughs) See, also Village of the Angels. Oh, yes. Oh, very good. That's actually another one that I'm looking forward to as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anything else on Ruth Doc, or shall we delve into other bits and pieces of this episode? Well, while we're talking about Ruth Doc, I did find it very interesting how she was spiky with the Doctor. They got through their scrape, despite... Jodie being unable to do exactly what Ruth told her not to do. Yeah. And you'd expect sort of chummy recognition, like, oh, well, that worked out all right in the end. But no, they're still arguing over who's in whose past. And Ruth is like, yeah, I'd like you to leave my ship now. And it's a bold note. It is, yeah. It's unexpected, I think. Also, because surely wouldn't they want to solve this mystery? Well, Ruth has been disturbed, shaken. They've both been shaken to their core. They've singly been shaken to their core. And I know maybe it's just too much to take in right now. And this leads me back to my pin quite quickly. Oh, right. Okay. I thought that this interplay set up quite naturally and convincingly the Doctor's next scene with her companions. In the next scene, she's telling Ryan, you don't know me at all. And Ryan comes back and he says the right things. And every companion has a component to contribute to this discussion. And I wonder if the doctor was letting them in a little bit more than she has been because of her experience getting booted out of Ruth Stardust. She's like, oh, is this what it's like to be a companion treated like filth, like the scum of the earth and really distant? And yeah, I don't don't really like this. And I'm not saying that was explicitly in the script but it all fits that it it was well constructed enough that you can add these i hope good suggestions into what's going on Mm. that's an interesting reading i hadn't considered that i do agree with you that that one scene that interplay with the companions at the end is that's excellent that's exactly what we wanted yeah and it's what i was crying out for last episode but it is actually better placed here yeah agreed it also stands in sharp contrast to, is it the beginning of the episode? Yeah, I think it's the beginning of the episode where Doc is reluctant to tell them about what she sees when she, quote, goes home. And yeah, and it, so that it neatly bookends it. It both starts and ends with a conversation about something that is very personal, very private to the Doctor. But in the beginning, she is reticent and doesn't have the rapport with her companions to share it. And in the end, maybe she's starting to take those first somewhat infantile steps towards trusting her family yeah there's growth and development there and she's doing this because she's seen this in a prior version of herself which again is good motivation for why she has reverted to this same old pattern that's clearly part of her character Mm. even if you are maybe well you're definitely retconning doctor who canon at this point but the, the fact is is it works it works in the right direction it's not random it's not contrived she She's like, I'm going to do better this time around. Yeah. So she has an arc. Jodie has an arc. Did you ever think we'd be saying that? Well, hmm. I mean, in a sense, I never doubted that she had an arc. The thing is, we're not at the end of that arc yet. No. And at the moment, yes, emotionally, she is maturing in a particular direction. And I'm completely on board with that. I think that that takes a slightly different 
direction as we move on. Okay, would it be fairer to say then, this is a nice example of Jodie doing some organic development rather than just stuff happens to her week after week? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, absolutely. And on top of that, she is portraying the character in such a mature way, as in convincingly in the sense that she fully inhabits this role. I mm-hmm. never doubt her being the doctor in this episode. Hey. And, and she knocks it out of the park. Absolutely. She's terrific. Fantastic. Okay, I think that's probably all I got to say about Ruth beyond the thrill I got. Well, there were a number of thrills in that scene. First of all, when Jodie is digging away the top of the TARDIS and you see the police call box. I remember how gobsmacked i felt the first time yeah, around same. on the 26th of january 2020 oh oh, oh my goodness that's yeah. not that long ago yeah, not at all. <laughs> and then no wonder i remember it so vividly myself <laughs> and then ruth is just imperious i shouldn't say ruth because she's the fugitive doctor the fugitive doctor is so imperious when she's saying let me take this from the top hello i'm the doctor and it's like oh wow yes <laughs> Glad I kept watching. Glad I didn't say, yeah. this isn't Doctor Who, and I stuck with it. Yeah, that being said, now might also be a good time to end. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because it's heading in the direction of Flux, which is maybe rather divisive. <laughs> well, that's the thing. This episode gets all the benefits of setting everything up without having to resolve any of them. Yeah, exactly. This is someone going into office, setting policies that will take longer than their term in office to actually bear fruit. This This is is Jeremy Hunt's autumn statement. We'll start testing electric cars in 2025. Yes. It gets to be part one of about three distinct double parters at once. Oh, And it does a good job of all of them. Well, you explain that. It sets up Jack's return in Revolution of the Daleks. Yeah. It sets up the lone Cyberman storyline. Oh, that's true, yes. And Joe Martin's coming back? So, yeah. You know what? I don't remember when Joe Martin does come back. Beyond Power of the Doctor, and even then, not really. Yeah, exactly. She does. I'm fairly certain that she does. I I would like to hope so. Surely there's something with the whole Timeless Children, or Timeless Child, or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We must get some Joe Martin there. But I don't think the Fugitive Doctor is a recurring character as such. She certainly recurs less than I expected her to. I know it's got to remain Jodie's show, the 13th Doctor's show, but I did find myself thinking, you you set this all up so well, and perhaps had COVID gone differently or not happened at all, Flux would have been a full series and we would have got more of her. Yeah, maybe. That's true. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. When she arrived, do you remember back in, was it the 6th of Jan 2020, 26th you, of Jan. A uh, 26th of Jan, sorry. Do you remember if you if you had any theories about why she was there? Like could this be a parallel universe for example? I'm pretty sure that's where my mind went. Oh, I think it was always a possibility that she was pre-Hartnell. Mm. I because she was as as it turned out in the end. And I think I rated every other th- competing theory as just less likely than that and that oh, is right. the way they went. But Parallel Universe, well, they sort of did go into Parallel Universes in Flux, didn't they? But then they pulled back. Yeah. Well, you know how we had the, uh, what's it called? The Cyberman double episode with with Rose. Age of Steel. That's the one. Yeah. That's a Parallel Universe in which everyone is coupled, but we never actually get to see Parallel Doc. And... Yeah, yeah, that's true. Could 
could that be the case? You know, we have that odd scene in this one where just for a moment they say the same thing and it's like, oh, oh yeah, same brain, which is hilarious, utterly hilarious and utterly idiotic. But yeah, it's hilarious. But who's to say that they couldn't, for example, both be the 13th Doctor, maybe under different circumstances, different regenerations will point in other directions. So maybe, you know, maybe it affects how gung-ho you are or how... Uh, what your dress sense is, you know, whatever it might be, maybe maybe they are from just parallel universes. Yeah, while we are in the business of concealing past experiences and memories, just have this be a half reveal. Like, there's another layer to it, and Joe Martin will eventually find out that, oh, actually, she is from a parallel universe, but for some even bigger reason, because yeah. the head of division who... I hope we get to meet them and figure out who set Gat on her tail, by the way. But because of trying to escape them, and they're from a parallel universe as well, the possibilities are still infinite. Times infinite times infinite. Infinite squared at this point. So, yes, we were all a little... That's a very generalizing statement, isn't it? You and I were both disappointed that it was the most basic option possible, and you hold the canon so dearly... The 60 years to this point. I mean, I, I do, yeah. That's not necessarily the only reason, but I... I, I yeah, well, well, we'll get to it when we get to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's Let's cross that bridge then. I have one other thing to say about Ruth in this episode, and that is that, A, I'm not 100% on board with this, and B, I don't understand how she pulled a rhino horn off a chap's cranium. Like, that's bone. Yeah, I think at one point the doctor says woman to woman, so it may be a lady jadoon. But regardless, that yeah. is nonsense. She must have had some serious division kung fu training, but the the, the strength of that wrist. Yeah. Oh, yikes. Yikes. Lee must be a tree. <laughs> and we're given right. no other reason as to why he's her companion and why she accepts him as her husband. That was another question I had. Uh-huh. If, well, River Song marrying the Doctor was a huge deal. The Doctor having an actual spouse. And here we have one, and he dies. And, okay, Ruth's a bit sad and a bit quiet at various points, but she's never definitely mourning him. What do you think about all that? Yeah, it's an, it's an odd one, isn't it? I wonder what kind of relationship they actually have. As in, at this point, she's already received her Manchurian candidate trigger phrase, the uh, break the glass, <laughs> go to the lighthouse, mm. hang out at your folks place. And maybe this means that she's already seeing things from a slightly different perspective. Maybe he is not, those emotions are already blurring a little bit. You know, their rapport in general is just blurring a little bit. Oh, so right. Maybe that does affect things. But the automatic parallel that came to me here was, what's it called? Family of Blood and the whatever of whatever. Yes, with David Tennant as John Smith and exactly. Jessica Hines as the best companion slash doctor we never had. Exactly. Yes, exactly. In that one, his companion is there. He has no idea who he is. His companion is in situ and is just sort of staying off to the sides, isn't necessarily inserting herself in his life. Here, the same kind of situation comes about. I think it's a little odd, by the way, that she has to use the chameleon circuitry to add it to her brain. Like, it, 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 I, I don't understand really what's happening there. But That's just I mean, to one-up the sonic, I think. Be like, oh, okay, oh, okay that's why 
my previously unbeatable bit of kit in this case was bested oh okay yeah that is that's completely fair Although, I remember a note I didn't say last week, I think, the Doc needs some new charts for the Sonic, because every time she reads energy with it, it's off the charts. Every (laughs) single time. (laughs) Yes, okay, that's true. Hang on, wait, wait, put a pin in that as well, and I completely agree with you. Yes, that's totally true. But so, imagine if... Okay, here's this. Think back to Family of Blood. Imagine if Martha Jones sees Tennant through the whole... You know, Tennant tells Martha, listen, I'm going to have to go massively incognito to the point where I don't even know myself. So please hang about, take care of me, make sure I don't walk into a swamp or, you know, blow my brains out or whatever happens. Just sort of stay in the wings. Right. Martha Jones goes, great, absolutely, here, put your mind in this thing, closes the fob watch, puts the fob watch in, the back, in, in her back pocket, and then she goes... Hey, Doc, you have amnesia. By the way, you love me. We're married. We're going to bone now. That would be (laughs) super weird to me. (laughs) And massively, massively problematic. Here, the Doc's companion has probably undergone a pretty similar kind of, you know, had a a similar kind of prep with the Fugitive Doctor. Fugitive Doctor goes, great, I'm going to go incognito. You know what? I don't know. Maybe make my parents lighthouse keepers or maybe, you know, have me be a city guide. You know, just like matrix the history of Gloucester into my brain. Great. Will Mm. do. No probs. I'll be your friend. I'll be the dude who lives next door and takes care of your laundry or something. (laughs) She brains herself and then he goes, right, we're married. Is that not super duper problematic? The way you have described it very much though. Yes, exactly. But that is only one possibility about what happened. Yes, he has a knowledge advantage, but it's not certain that he used it to manipulate her in that way. That's true. It's possible that they had a relationship before they started their alibi as well. We have no idea. We never find out anything. But as you say, she doesn't really mourn him when he dies. She gets really pissed off, but she doesn't mourn him as such. We don't get a... At the end, like when she remembers herself entirely, she's just there going, fuck me, I look so amazing. Like even when she's going through her wardrobe, she goes, that outfit is lit AF. She puts it on. She doesn't go, oh, maybe I should put on something black. I just lost my husband. Or you know what? I don't want to feel joy right now. I need to process all the complex emotions I'm going through. There's none of that. It is that he's a husband, but also a companion. In no other episode, story, adventure, would a companion of any stripe, even Adric, be bumped off with this little... Adric got freaking end credits, silent end credits, when Adric died. Yeah. Here, we get a, let's do that, in an instant replay of of Lee just being freaking zapped to smithereens. (laughs) Yeah, she's more upset about Marcia, the old woman who runs into the force field. Yeah. Which leads me on to my other opening question. Oh, here we go. What does this series have against the elderly? (laughs) (laughs) Because in Spyfall Part 1, it was lovely, wobbly, jowly old C who bought it. In Part 2, it was Daniel Barton's ancient mum. In Orphan 55, it was... No, I can't remember the name. They needed to repeat it more. And now here... Marcia, because she'd been knitting something for nine weeks, has to go and get vaporized. Why are the elderly the go-to expendables this I think, year? I think they're just an easy target in terms of heartstrings. It's like, here's someone who can't really defend themselves, and we think maybe we're going to get some off-com letters if we put a Glock in the back of the head of an infant. So let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's, chuck, mm-hmm. an, let's chuck a geriatric lady at a force field, <laughs> and then we're done with it. I think the series is struggling a bit 
overall in general with its i believe increased body count i can't really remember the oh tons of people are dying here yeah i can't really remember the moffat era i know that madame kavarian that that stands out and okay lots of other characters did die but here in the chidnall era it's problematic how just horrible benny's line was being like oh can you please kill me now that you said you marry me it's it's so callous and so nasty there's someone who slips through the cracks every week it's like it's trying to do two incompatible things one it's saying look someone's dying this is some pretty serious shit and two it's saying ultimately we don't give a crap (laughs) (laughs) i know what you're saying i don't have an answer for you i don't i'm not entirely sure why that is it may also just be a case of sensationalism you know maybe they just want to sell tickets and one of the ways they think they can do that is by adding violence and and brutality yeah the netflixification exactly yeah oh that word is so versatile anything we don't like about doctor who it's because they're copying netflix well it's I don't know if maybe we should be afraid of even more of this, given that it's now going to Disney Plus. But I think there's, I think audiences, younger audiences in particular, are just massively influenced by Marvel and that entire genre of quote-unquote cinema. Where to a point where what they expect is of any kind of adventure story is just death and carnage. The bad guys need to murder tons and tons of people, ideally in really horrible ways. And the good guys need to just like blow shit up in order to save the day. Yeah, the bad guys will kill a city or a country or a civilization and the good guys will kill almost just as many in trying to undo that, but their intentions were good. Yeah, I say this as someone who actually enjoys some of the Marvel stuff, not all of it, but some of it. But every single time that another one of these films comes out and they talk about how incredibly enlightened and just virtuous and great all these people are, I always ask myself, so why do they have to solve all their problems by punching the bad guys? (laughs) (laughs) Can't they just think of something better? And the same thing, I think, in this era of Doctor Who is kind of happening to to our Doctor, where the Doctor is meant to be super enlightened, super clever, super everything, just superhuman, but in the best possible way, in the sense that she isn't even human. She's what we might aspire to be or how we yes. might aspire to be. Yes, yes, yes. But we're, we're getting to a point where we aspire to be like her because she's really good at decimating the enemy. And that's, <laughs> not, that's not really what I want. Anyway, I feel like we've gotten off track. I'm not sure well, no, where we started off. This is very on track. I think that in an incredibly crowded media marketplace, Doctor Who would do well to not brush this under the carpet like anyone else. The Doctor, as you say is someone we can aspire to be. That doesn't mean that they have to be unproblematic and yeah. wishy-washy good all the time, but remark upon the consequences and don't just zip by onto the next item of gore. This isn't yeah. Squid Game. Yeah, exactly. And if you are on Disney+, Plus, the home of Marvel, then absolutely set out your store rtd say the doctor cares about every single person around them nobody is ordinary indeed yes yeah exactly oh all right well that's not to shit on this episode though that no, is no, a not really at all. minor point that i only picked up on i was gonna say this is uh, and that <laughs> that concludes this week's segment of it was better in my day <laughs> <laughs> but it could also be better again it certainly could and you know what here's hoping the thing is though for this episode things are really good right now yeah, this yeah, episode yeah. is is terrific Mm-mm. 
can we talk? We we talked about Doc. We've talked about Doc. <laughs> <laughs> we've talked about the the story at least to a certain degree in in general. What about the bad guys here? How do you feel about the Jadoon? We haven't seen the Jadoon in a while. My question for you is: Did we get them talking in English the first time around, or were they just no draw, blow, flow, grow? Oh, that's a very good out. question. I'm not sure. You know. Because I think that was a development for them. That was a surprise. And I'm going to address your question on a more meaningful level in a minute. But I was listening to them talking in English and thinking, is that Nick Briggs lapsing <laughs> into Yoda? And it was. And to, while was Nick it? Briggs is doing a great job with Big Finish and everything, does he have to be the go-to guy every week? Well, clearly, yeah. Okay, two two seconds! <laughs> 42 seconds! <laughs> I didn't realize that was Nick Briggs. Yeah. He probably has a contract that says something to the effect of, I need to be in at least so and so many episodes per season. Hmm. And they just think of an excuse. We could broaden our talent pool, but no, you're still around, so we'll milk you while we can. Hmm. Better the devil you know. I quite... Sorry, just to return to the thing that you said before, I yep. think now, in hindsight, I quite liked the fact that the Jadoon spoke English. Mm-hmm. It sped things up, it made things a lot more efficient. It certainly did, and the no bojo. There yeah, was one funny th- moment with all the gojo blow, which was when they clearly, the captain was saying go, didn't say go, said bow. <laughs> <laughs> just to be awkward. <laughs> That's good. I didn't pick up on that. That's very good. The no Joe Blow thingy, though, can get old pretty quickly. Oh, yes. Abby was in the room when I was watching this, and she said that this episode was pretty difficult to have assail her earballs. It was yeah, I understand constant that. crashing and smashing and shouting. Yeah, I can, I can absolutely get that. Has she seen Flux yet? I think, to answer your original question, uh-huh. the Jadoon were the least interesting part of this episode. And I think that's by design. Okay. Because yeah. ahead of time, we knew that this episode was called Fugitive of the Jadoon. That mm-hmm. was the tease. That was the reveal. It was like, oh, wow, Chips is bringing back the Jadoon. I mean, they were nobody's favorite, but okay, we'll see where he takes them. And that was to mask the fact that Captain Jack was coming back. And then Captain Jack himself doesn't get involved in the action because he is a double bluff for the Doctor suddenly arriving, the fugitive Doctor. And I, yeah. while it was putting all your eggs in one basket, such a baller move. I thought that that was one of Chibber's best things he did as showrunner. He fool us twice in 50 minutes yeah sure yeah I, I suppose that's admirable in a sense the the jadoon for me are primarily a, a a bit of fan service and a lot of production value oh right because the talking rhino looked for most intents and purposes pretty great oh i thought it looked fantastic i, yeah. I thought it was a tremendous improvement on that outfit Mm-hmm. on that you know, costume. And I was happy to take them seriously in a way that maybe in the beginning I wasn't really. You know, yeah. the, the first time that we see the Jadoon is just like, oh, what the flipping balls are you doing? Really? You've got, <laughs> you've got this now? Were you inspired by that Billy Piper music video? But in general, no? Oh, what Podcast Land. Oh, okay, hang on. Wait, 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 wait. I'm going to send you a link. Wait, is wait, she wait. riding a rhino horn? Is this Wrecking Ball before Wrecking Ball? What's going on here? She goes into a club and the club bouncer is a rhino. Uh, oh, right. and, yeah, I'm almost certain. 
regardless, back then I couldn't take it seriously. Now I do take them seriously. Yeah. And it, it, it just 100, it 100% works for me. I also like the whole, the, the, their rapport with GATS makes me, like, helps substantiate their role in the galaxy. <laughs> Yes. Getting, no, no, we, we, we have a contract. We need to deliver this dude to whomever or this fugitive to whomever. But they're also answering to Gant. They don't really know. Like We don't really understand it, but we understand that if, if there is a, a hierarchy, she is in a slightly more authoritative position in that hierarchy. I enjoy them from that point of view. Yeah. It's a very sci-fi thing to do when you're trying to sketch out how a civilization can hold together across the cosmos. And we don't get a ton of that in Doctor Who all the time. That's true. You know what else I really liked? I loved, in fact, not liked, I loved the rapport between Doc and Yaz in particular. Doc and Yaz and the Jadoon in that scene where Doc flashes the psychic paper mm. and they just they just have a, a little tete-a-tete with the head Jadoon whatever. The one whose horn gets ripped off. Yeah, the captain. That's right, yeah. The, the platoon captain. I genuinely laughed out loud at Yaz just going completely over the top with her facial expressions and ending with rule 12 massive <laughs> massive yeah <laughs> <laughs> solid stuff absolutely mm-hmm. captain jack yes regale podcast land and me with all of your feelings on captain jack please well again i thought his reintroduction was nicely handled because he came over the intercom and you get to see graham's bewilderment and at the same time know for certain that it's john barrowman's voice because no one else sounds like him yeah and so you get that thrill and then you get to see him and then he gets to go full Captain Jack. Oh, but, oh yeah. Okay. Oh, do you think he was a bit OTT? He's massively OTT, dude. Isn't that He's... Captain Jack's character no. profile? Captain, you're, that's a very fair point. Okay, I take that on board. Captain Jack is definitely, as a person, is definitely OTT. You are right about that. But here, it seemed like every single line of his was designed to be in your face, Captain Jack OTT to the max. Right. And it was it, it was just a little bit too much. Oh, maybe I picked that up on Ibiza 13. Oh, that's where I got herpes squared. This place is amazing. Doesn't even have a bar. But the console is made out of meth. Like, it, it, was, it was too much. <laughs> it was too much. A lot of those lines you just said, I've noted down as really enjoyable. Oh, really? When he, when he said that was a night, well, that was a month. <laughs> I thought that was great. And his sparring with ryan as well calling each other cheesy and mouthy and being like oh i like you i thought he was a breath of fresh air but again maybe tonally while he was removed from the rest of the action and therefore didn't collide with it quite as badly maybe it was a little out of place the way i would have treated this in the editing phase of this for this script would have been to cut about a 30% of his lines. Okay. And then just have him still occupy the exact same amount of screen time, but just deliver <laughs> 70% of those lines. I bet that's what they did. I bet they did that reiteratively for some time. I, I bet there's an hour of cutting room floor scenes of him oh, really? just completely improvising. You think so? He's been thinking oh, up possibly. zingers for nine series <laughs> since, since he revealed he was... The poster boy from the Beauchene Peninsula, maybe eight series, but still. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wasn't he enjoying himself, though? He really was. And it's so nice to see him again. It's been too long, basically. Yeah. And I'm glad that he's back. Yeah, but the it, fact that he's back and really overcompensating makes me think, oh, 
You know what? His lines are very much like his die job. Blatant. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I also found that because the lines were delivered in that consistently OTT manner, that when he had to get serious and talk about the lone Cybermen and the threat their empire posed didn't quite ring true to me. That's when I yeah. thought he was overacting, if anything. Yeah, he should have been talking about that, then be taken over by whatever they are, the nano thingies, nano, nano genes. genes. Then he disappears, and <laughs> Ryan and Graham should have looked at each other and gone like, I didn't understand that last entendre. <laughs> something about the lone cyberman and it's like yeah it's probably it's some dildo reference i'm sure don't worry about it nothing worth mentioning to doc (laughs) and this is is jeans are so tight they call them nano jeans (laughs) i was very pleased to be enjoying graham again this week by the way yeah when he said oh that cake that's the worst thing i've ever seen (laughs) fully loved it yeah yeah me too I didn't fully understand why he lingered in the cafe, but I'm glad that he did. He lingered in there because of the spread before him. He's like, oh, I can put any number of these things in my pocket for future adventures. <laughs> put this next to that sandwich and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly what's going on. Again, a character acting with consistency, with a prior True. appearance. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, they, they all felt more lived in this week. Did yes, they do? <laughs> maybe, maybe a bit less with Yaz that she cited her own police training after some time rather than thinking of it off the top of her head oh this might come in useful this is my one characteristic that was a bit deflating maybe the bbc viewer stats you know maybe they looked at the nielsen figures and they saw something that hinted at completely new viewers tuning in and they went right well they're not gonna know they don't know her backstory just like ham fist one line in there that says exactly where you're from (laughs) (laughs) yeah Oh, this is jumping off, yes, just slightly. But I thought the worst example of a clunky line in the entire episode was Alan saying, yeah, I've tried to make it as a barman this whole time, and now that I'm having to work as a barista, it's really difficult. And I'm like, nobody cares, Alan. (laughs) Nobody. Yeah, I have more gripes with Alan. Okay. What does he push the Jadoon? Oh, like I said, he's combustible. He's a hothead. He doesn't stop to think, and it will prove his undoing. What was the name of the cafe owner in Gilmore Girls? You know, the ultimate love... No idea, I'm afraid. Let's just call him John for the sake of it. John, he ain't, okay? Right, right, Alan does not fill those boots. I don't understand anything about this character. I think he fits into a, like a pantomime episode of Doctor Who. Not an actual TV one. Yeah, he is broad, definitely. I did like just how vicious he was, though. Being like, oh, you're a lethal space alien police. Well, even if I'm completely unfounded in my theories, then I've got a guy I'd like you to bump off. I've been <laughs> yeah. waiting for gang warfare to arrive in Gloucester, and finally yeah. I've, I'm I don't care if they're rhino people. <laughs> <laughs> he really hates Lee. I thought they did a pretty good job, by the way, of, and I'm sorry, I'm just jumping sideways again. Please go. With Lee, I rewatched some bits of Lee, and when he watches Ruth go, or he, he looks at he looks after Ruth as she closes the door to go out tour guiding. And the first time, I was like, oh yeah, he's a bad one. Really suspicious. And then the second time, I was like, oh no, he's just showing concern. Like, he's showing weariness. He's like, How long has this been going? That His face 
was able to support both interpretations, polar opposites in a way, I thought showed some real talent. Totally agree. I enjoyed the depth that is at least insinuated in that character. Yeah. And his mystery of what is he, who is he, is he the fugitive, what does this, any of this mean? Way more intriguing and compelling than we've had for a while. Yeah, totally agree. I question about him. What kind of weird books do you think he's getting out of the library? Well, Alan's the one who accuses him of weird books, so it's probably just physics A-level. <laughs> Alan's like... Well, if he wants to come across as some kind of professor, well, who does he think he is? Alan is so embittered. It doesn't need to be that crazy. The fact that he went to a library in the first place was half of the crime. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, segueing sideways to Gat's time cop logic. Gat talks about how two doctors can't occupy the same space at the same time. That's like just ripped from the script of Time Cop. Okay. And I'm not sure I understand why that's brought up. Because A, we've had multiple TARDISes within, you know, a very small radius of each other. They've been in the vicinity of each other and nothing's ever happened. We've had TARDISes within TARDISes and nothing's ever happened. Oh, time crash. We've had plenty of doctors high-fiving, hugging and everything. I say everything. Not quite everything but I'm still waiting, RTD. And twice upon a time. Yeah, nothing's ever happened. Plenty of multi-doctor stories. And in fact, in this episode, we get the doctors together in the same TARDIS, shaking hands. You know, they're occupying the same space, quote-unquote, but nothing's happening. So why exactly bring up this problem? Perhaps it's something to do with the temporal environment of Gallifrey because they are in a specialised offshoot part of the universe that's in the time vortex is magenta instead of orange. And, yeah, maybe there are more stringent rules, I don't know. Okay, yeah, all right. my theory. But yes, there was another piece of logic in this episode that didn't really make sense, which was the Doctor saying, I've seen Gallifrey destroyed twice. This time it's forever. Oh, yeah. Well, the first time it wasn't forever, so... (laughs) <laughs> Why would it be forever now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that, that's a nitpick. No, but that's a very good nitpick. I didn't think about that. <laughs> yeah. That's a solid point. All right. What else? There was a depth to the writing in this episode. You know, Leon, how fond we are of speech carrying on burbling away under other speech. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yep. Yep. In scripts yet to be performed. And. <laughs> Here, they did the exact same thing, where the Jadoon, they've reached, they've exceeded the temporal countdown, and they launch into the T's and C's. So, any psychological damage must be pursued under blah, 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 and it carries on, T's and C's apply. (laughs) And, okay, again, it's a little atonal, perhaps it's a clash, but I really enjoyed it. I feel like this is the level of writing I want every week, and I'm clamouring for. And it's taken till episode five of this series to get it. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. It was really sturdy. You could enjoy the episode for the for what it adds on the cosmic scale and the canonical scale. And you could enjoy just the tiniest little moments, like Graham being wrapped up by Jack and going, Whoa, or when he has to explain to him that he isn't the Doctor and he's got to let this madman down easy. There are so many of those. I've noted far too many to recount 
in this one review. Okay, yeah, I'm going to follow on from that with a different ping because I, I feel like they kind of, they, they hold hands. They occupy the same space at the same time. <laughs> and that is that I absolutely see what you're saying, but I am not as enamored by the companion appearances here as I think you are. Okay. I think the companions, bar a couple of sequences they are exactly what they've always been and what we have always been annoyed by okay. we get that incredibly blatant scene of them just sitting silently on the steps as usual <laughs> in the very beginning yeah something that <laughs> that we found so incredibly annoying back in the day that that's why we write that into you'll get to it at some point podcast land as will we in strange readings that's a massive thing they just sit around on those fucking steps doing nothing the most wonderful interaction that doc has with any of the companions is in that beginning when yaz goes why won't you take us there like why won't you take us home and doc goes because you ask too many questions because it's such a flick on the nose of yaz as an archetypal annoying companion who does nothing but ask questions and contributes zero to plot progression yeah i found that pretty on the nose to <laughs> so to speak yeah stop and, looking for connections between doc and yaz because this is what's defining their relationship right now Exactly. Yeah. That's that's also a very good point. Yeah, absolutely. There are a few bits where of those three companions, Yaz is absolutely the one who is standout, who is spectacular. Okay. For example, when they negotiate with the Jadoon captain, that would be one such example. Yeah. But Graham has a couple of fun lines and is otherwise kind of meh. And Ryan, I felt was either barely in it or maybe his heart wasn't. I didn't really feel that Ryan did anything here. What did Ryan do? Ryan did loads of stuff. He was the one like saying, Doctor, we know who you are right now. Never mind what you were 2,000 years ago, it will be again in the future. We understand you enough to stick with you now, no matter what's going on. I thought he was a crucial piece in that exchange. Okay, yeah, and that, that is true. He has the sort of starting line there. And I laughed at a couple of things he did when Yaz said Captain Jack was good cheesy. The look on Ryan's face, the ambivalence. He was shaking his hand as if to be like, eh, and his face, on the other hand, was just being like, absolutely not. No yeah. way. Okay, I, yeah. I liked that Graham answered because you ask too many questions by posing another question. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, sure, I'll take that. Yeah, I thought it was brave. I thought it was funny. Yeah. Okay. So final Pong. This is just another nice thing I liked about Lee, which is when he goes, give me the box. And he's really sinister in that scene. And your blood runs a little bit cold and that's what the music is always going for. So finally the action on screen fits the music and Lee yeah. is such an enigma. I thought he was way more complex than we've seen in Doctor Who for ages and we only get 25 minutes of him at most. By the way, the amount this episode manages to pack into its first 20 minutes while not giving you whiplash is more testament to its superior quality to everything else around it so much happens oh my goodness yeah i totally agree with you and it has space to breathe and also it has space both at the beginning and the end for those companion bookends last week everybody had to say bye bye okay credits roll while nikola tesla <laughs> strode out shot because yeah. the next program was about to start whereas here they've they've nailed it yeah i am your friend who agrees with you <laughs> 
Cool. Well, right. should we see how much we agree in terms of ratings? Oh, numerically, you mean? Yes, uh, let's. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 Ratings. I was inclined, perhaps even desperate, to be generous to this episode going into it because I remembered it being a cut above and one of the highlights, and I'm so pleased to report that while we have the little quibbles and the nitpicks and the logical flaws and the Jadoon line, Jadoon contract will always be fulfilled. So unnecessary, so lame. <laughs> <laughs> just just walk off screen gracefully and let's get to, to more interesting material. Despite those little things, this is so good, I'm going to give it a very high rating. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So will I, by the way, so don't worry. You're in good company. Or I am. <laughs> <laughs> it barrels along. It doesn't feel rushed. There are so many points. But honestly, I'm just recapping what happens in the episode, Podcast Land. So watch the episode again. This is an episode worth re-watching. It really is. I say that without reservations. Everybody had an interesting slant to their interaction. The major... Ones like the two Doctors, more so than the little ones. But no part of this script or episode felt neglected. There was no, okay, we were going to do something here, but we can't. So we're just going to rush to the the next scene and hope that that transition won't jar too badly. This was a well-crafted, produced episode. I'm going to give it, oh... And it's set up so much, and it's not its fault that it doesn't carry it through later on. I'm going to give it a 4.5. (laughs) 4.5, you say? I do say. Spiffing Mini, solid argument, great rating. Here we go, my turn. I want to start by saying that Whitaker totally nails it in this week's episode. Mm. Wow. I am buying literally every single thing she's selling, every emotional nuance, every tonal shift. Brava. And I'd like to add, finally! (laughs) (laughs) The companions are mostly companions. As I hinted before, Graham does sort of what exactly he's he's hilarious at times but very often he's just kind of in the sidelines Yaz has a few occasions to shine and when she does hooray but her greatest moment is as i suggested before when she's called out for asking too many questions because wow (laughs) goodness knows she does a lot of her usual shtick here as well the foes of the week both the jadoon and uh, what's her name gat gat yeah they are formidable the Jadoon look so good. It's a similar upgrade in terms of costumes to what we recently saw in the utter shite episode Sea Demons of the Pirates of Penzance or whatever it was called. I'm trying to forget. Legend um, of the Sea Devils. That's the one. Yeah. Similar kind of upgrade, you know, compared to the last time that we saw them. Yeah. The real star here, though, obviously, is Ruth, the fugitive doctor. What an utter badass and so pleasantly portrayed as a civilian as well. Quick-witted, action-packed without actually wanting to shoot people. And that outfit is straight up fierce AF. You know what I'm saying? And <laughs> what a stunning TARDIS. We didn't talk about that, but oh! it's, it's all superficial stuff. But what a beautiful TARDIS. Mm. Wow. And I like yeah. the sound it made. It gave a little oh, warble. Yes. She's like, wake up, old gold. And it was like, whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> every single aspect of her TARDIS I just want to live in it forever (laughs) the mystery in this episode is interesting it's compelling and it is also more importantly entirely impossible to predict the weakest link here I think is 
Sad to say, Captain Jack, the greatest asset of this episode, however, is the hope and the optimism, the sudden faith in Chibbers having created something truly grandiose and the, the exuberance and the excitement that I very vividly remember feeling back when this aired on the telly. Mm-hmm. Main takeaway, best episode of the Whittaker era, bar none. And I have given this a rating of 4.5. Hey! <laughs> So those are our opinions. Oh, for the first time in a while, I feel protective of our opinions. <laughs> I don't know. We better see what Podcast Land has to say anyway. Let's. This is now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Shazamatron, and welcome to the listener mini section of this podcast episode, where speed blasts lasering through this review. So, And we've received five that's five listener minis. So we are going to read all of them in their full splendor. And oh, thank goodness. Who's first? Why, first up, it's Kyle Rath. Oh, my goodness. Kyle, long time no see, buddy. The sinister super spy himself. Hello, Kyle. Kyle starts horny, leather-clad space rhinos with justice bonus. Spaceships are looking for a fugitive on Earth. So, naturally, they come to, check notes, Gloucester. (laughs) (laughs) Whether they are unloading on the elderly, dominating cappuccino-making incels, or aggressively assaulting people's identities with vibrating cylindrical objects, the Jadoon find themselves in a menage a many with the Doctor and Fam. We are then treated to a wham-bam, thank you, more of a canal thrill ride that shows that some of the greatest mysteries are only skin deep. I'm doing my best to avoid using a lot of unnecessary innuendos, but sometimes it gets hard. Well done, Kyle. Kyle launches next into a list of pros. Number one, fairly tight story, unfolding at a medium pace, and satisfying payoffs. Pro number two, Joe Martin and Jody both were delightful. And number three, in all serious, the dialogue from the fam at the end really needed more of that throughout the 13 era. Oh, I sense a friend on the cusp of <laughs> agreeing with us. Yes, indeed. But Kyle next has some cons. Yes. Number one in the list of cons. While I enjoyed the Jack sideline, it could have been handled in a more organic way. Huge waste of a ship set that looked vaguely TARDIS-like. Yes, Mm. good point. I thought about this as well. It looks like a console in the middle. Yeah. Second, tracking Lee through his service medal felt kind of cheap. And last, that was a terrible one. (laughs) Shouldn't Ruth's TARDIS have recognized 13 and glitched out like in Day of the Doctor? Maybe. And Kyle also has two minor quibbles. Number one, I don't know how to read a sonic screwdriver made of pewter and salt crystals, but I'm fairly certain it should be able to decrypt anything vaguely Gallifreyan. Yeah, certainly. Unless they've really upped their technology game since whenever Ruth and Gat are from. Bit turned around by the temporal wibble wobbles, but I agree with your broad point, (laughs) Kyle. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And Kyle finishes with number two. Weird that there isn't more of crossing temporal paths, eh? Stupid literary corners. And, and, do you know what he gives this? No, no. He gives this 4.5 out of 5. This is one of the best of Jodie's run. Oh my god, here's our friend who agrees with us. Three for three. And you know what, Kyle? We're your friends who agree with you. That is yeah. a fantastic mini. People who are not Kyle should absolutely head online and high-five Kyle. Please do so. He can be found where, Drew? At Sinister Super Spy. That's super without any vowels. Thanks so much, Kyle. Thank you very much. Who's next? Well, let's see how we can do this over Zencaster. Next up, it's... 
Daniel. Daniel. Daniel McGinley. Daniel McGinley. Daniel McGinley. Daniel Daniel starts. Jack's back. Yay! Some thoughts. Could Ryan have said, city is under siege, we're going to sort it, with any less conviction? <laughs> and at the end, let it come, you've got us. Very reassuring indeed. <laughs> <laughs> the Doc, Yaz and Ryan are very glib with the Jadoon. In fact, Whitaker plays it light through most of the early part of the episode, reducing any menace. The Jadoon are going around killing people. Talking of the Jadoon, they look great. The SFX really shows their emotions. Definitely. So the Doctor can just teleport into the TARDIS now. This is a terrible trope of the Chibnall era. Characters can jump about in space willy-nilly. See every episode of Flux. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. While we're talking about them being in exactly that location, I had a question for you that I never asked, which is, if you come across a blank gravestone, is your first instinct to dig down and see what's underneath it because surely the etching the engraving hasn't rubbed away over time this is definitely some sort of mystery that they're inviting you to unearth yeah in a parallel universe doc is digging away and then ruth shows up behind her just as she's breaking open the coffin of one of ruth's parents going what are you doing (laughs) i just lost my husband and now you're (laughs) desecrating my parents resting place <laughs> exactly mm, mm. and she sonic that gravestone from 200 feet away but regardless yeah yeah whatever <laughs> next up daniel says yet again we're told you can't have different versions of the same person in the same place but there they all are no problem at all as always exactly daniel continues it's awesome to see jack back great confusion over who is the doctor hmm the interplay between the Doctors is good fun, and Martin is kick-ass. I believe you said very similar. Yeah, yes. Makes you wish that she had been chosen as the 13th instead. This is a decent episode, continues Daniel, and no moralizing lecture either. In brackets, rubs hands together in preparation for next week. Oh, right. Good, solid stuff, Daniel says, and gives this a rating of 3.8 out of 5. Mm-mm, close enough. Yeah, thank you very much, Daniel. (laughs) That's a fantastic many. Very good stuff. Daniel can be found online, methinks, Drew. Yes, in Uh, multiple places. Daniel has a new Instagram page, don't you know? That's right. Daniel is at planet underscore of underscore giants. That's right. I looked at it just yesterday. It is very relevant to this episode, in fact. So, uh, people of Podcast Land, please do check it out. Give him a follow. While you're doing that, head on over to Twitter as well for as long as that platform exists and say hello to him there. <laughs> you can be found at Daniel J. McGinley. That's right. <laughs> Thank you very much, Daniel. Daniel McGinley. <laughs> Who's next? Who's next? That's what I asked. <laughs> why it's kieran evans hello kieran what up kieran kieran begins hi folks interesting setup and nice that it's not set in london mm, great or cardiff there are other places in the uk you know yes i know you know but the writers could do better at times <laughs> it's been a while since we last saw the jadoon apparently face the raven though not prominently i think yeah i think there might be a jadoon somewhere in that alley You know, where we get like a montage of 20 different aliens. Masked in the background. Yeah, exactly. Kieran continues, ah, so Shifty Man is indeed Shifty Man, (laughs) lol. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, let's address the elephant in the room. Ruth and the reveal. The build-up is very well-paced and it does come as a shock. It's very Moffat, actually. Mm. And I remember joking that Chibnall had ripped off his mask to reveal Moffat a la the master in the Pertwee era. Nice. The actual story is to come, I suppose. And should we penalise this one for the crimes of the future? Ah, probably not. Though I do remember being afraid back in January 2020. God, a lot has happened since then. (laughs) Having had several years of Moffat messing things up. I was unsure if this was a wise path to be going down. And, well... But, Kieran concludes, in the moment, it's a good story with some great performances. Maybe Jack was unnecessary. Actually, yeah. And <laughs> and Kieran wraps it up with a rating of 3.8 out of 5 buried secrets. Oh, that is an excellent rating, Kieran. Have you met Daniel McGinley? <laughs> Very nice. People who are not Kieran, please high-five Kieran online. He can be found at... What, Drew? KJ Evans 2. For all your Evan needs. <laughs> Thank you very much, Kieran. Who's next? <laughs> well, next up, it's Hey, Maxwell Renner. Uh, hello, Maxwell. What's up, Maxwell? Maxwell starts first. The music for this episode is a win. Next, Joe Martin's Fugitive Doctor is the best recurring character for the rest of Jodie's run. Ooh, the master being a close second. The reveal for the Jadoon was pretty good, and I was pretty excited when they showed up. Graham disappeared. Did he die? Oh, damn. (laughs) Wow. More of a canal is freaking brilliant. Where's Graham? Oh, Captain Jack is back. I met John Barabin, a pretty funny guy, a long time ago. Maxwell continues, can they not just open the box? It looks like a regular box. Agreed. And Yaz and Ryan are gone. Nice job, Jack. <laughs> Ruth with those moves, taking out Jadoon. Awesome. Buried TARDIS. That's cool. Great reveal on the Ruth Doctor. The design of this TARDIS is awesome and is now the fifth TARDIS to survive. Ooh. I think. Very confusing. Could Gat be a version of the Master? Well, they died, so... Yeah. That would complicate things. Just a little theory, Maxwell says. Maxwell loves the little banter between the Doctors. I wasn't so up on their clothes chat, but then again, I don't care about clothes in general. (laughs) Gat is a Gallifreyan, as proved by the Doctor. Gat is Fugitive Doctor's Master. Maybe. Ooh, I mean, that, that would be interesting. Still don't know how it would work. Yeah. That would be a logical conclusion to make if we were talking about parallel universes. Mm. But also, I feel like the Master wouldn't be carrying out a functionary's role in the Division. He doesn't accept institutions or authority. He or she is a complete loose cannon. So to see them commandering in a regular kind of way... (laughs) That's a very fair point as well, yeah. Unless, unless it's entirely motivated by tracking down the Doctor forever mm. and ever, which well, maybe, which it might be, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Maxwell loves this episode so much. Very good ending. Hmm. And Maxwell gives this episode a rating of hmm, four point six <gasps> out of five. Jadoon platoons near a moon next to that lagoon. <laughs> Maxwell, huge heart, man. Mm. <laughs> Very good stuff. Excellent, Mini. People who are not Maxwell, please high-five Maxwell online. Maxwell can be found at what, Drew? The True Misty. Except no substitutes. Thank you very much, Maxwell. Who's last? Why, last up, it's... Tracy from from America. America. Hello, Tracy. Sup, Tracy. Tracy says, late entry, hoping I can make it by the skin of my teeth. Well done, 
Tracy. Tracy yeah, you're in. sneaks in under the wire just a few stray observations. This episode is epic in that it firmly establishes there are doctors previous to the Hartnell first doctor. Mm. It doesn't 100% confirm that, but it does mm. no. But, but I, I, I see Tracy's point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ruth Doctor is fantastic. Great look. Self-possessed. Kicks ass. Brilliant. Husband from America wants to know why she wasn't the Doctor we got all season long. Oh, yeah, good question, see husband Karen from Evans. America. Yeah. <laughs> My thoughts, however, it's easier to be the Doctor for a single episode than to carry it off story after story, making it difficult to judge the Ruth Doctor since we only spend part of an episode with her. Mm. Yeah, that's a very fair point, Tracy. Yeah. Similar to, is it called The Next Doctor, where Tennant oh. meets a Doctor who's sort of unknown, a chap who thinks he's the Doctor. Yeah, David Morrissey with the balloon. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and how many times do we love a Doctor after episode one and then they've got the rest of a series to carry? <laughs> yeah, the um, yeah, yeah, I suppose that happens uh, more than once. Uh, <laughs> Tracing continues, I dislike how the doctors bristle at each other. I want them to mm. banter a little more friendly. What's the story with Lee? He registers as human but retains his memories. I demand an explanation. Yeah, that is never no, elaborated, elucidated, because at one point he mutters under his breath in front of Alan, really loudly, a stage aside of humans. Oh yeah, you're right. So, yeah, what is he under his biological shielding? We'll never know. Lastly, Tracy finds it interesting that Ruth totes a large gun, but sort of doesn't actually use it. When our doc says the doctor doesn't use guns, Ruth hisses, I know! Is this a character trait Ruth has just grown into herself? What a tantalising glimmer of history to speculate about. (laughs) And Tracy gives this a brilliant rating, and I think I understand this one. Her rating is world's largest diamond, but it's invisible. Mm. Yeah, solid. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much, Tracy. Please, podcast land, go and follow Tracy online ASAP. Tracy can be found at... That's Fountain Tracy backwards, almost. Thank you very much, Tracy. Right. Well, wow. Thank you, everyone. And thank you, everyone who sent something in for this one. Absolutely wonderful stuff. And thank you very much, Podcast Land, for listening to this whole shebang. This now concludes our Fugitive of the Jadoon soiree. But thankfully, it is not the last of Doctor Who. And it is not the last of Who Back When. What have we got coming up next, Drew? Next up, it'll be part three, I believe, of Trial of a Time Lord in the classic channel. Terror of the Vervoids. Dude, if you want to join us for that one, that's going to be the vaginal penis plant aliens of the universe. (laughs) I'm sure I can just Google image. No, wait, no, I can't. (laughs) Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. (laughs) After that, we're going to be back in New Who territory with what, Drew? Praxius. I bet you that's exactly as good as this one, right? Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Kieran is rubbing his hands together in preparation for a celebration of how great next week is. At some point, we're going to have an Audio Who review as well, though goodness knows when that's going to be. What's that going to be of, Drew? That's going to be Redacted. 
Oh, and at some point we're going to have a bonus episode. Most likely it will be the Christmas slash New Year's bloops. So stay tuned, podcast land. In the meantime, you can say hello to us online. Drew, are you still available on Twitter? I am. Despite Jimmy the Who's principles stalking off of the site, I have less backbone, maybe. And I, I want your <laughs> attention. I'm at Drew Back When. Oh, excellent branding. I can be found online as well, at least for the time being. I am at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N. Say hello. I will say hi right back. Uh, peeps. Podcast Land, you have been an absolutely lovely audience. Thank you so much for listening to us. Until the next time, please rock on. Be rad and excellent to one another. Cha-chao. Bye-bye. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. But I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hey. Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?